Philippians chapter 1. Anybody in here ever wish you were perfect? Wouldn't it be nice to be perfect in every action, every deed? I wonder how it would be to be perfect in every thought. Wouldn't that be amazing to never think anything bad about anybody again? To be, to be perfect in every word and never say another unkind word. Well, the Word of God tells us that as Christians we're going to be. Isn't that awesome? The, the Word of God tells us that, that as children of God, that, that we are a work in progress. But one day, we're going to be perfected. And the promise is made by a God who cannot lie, cannot quit, cannot be mistaken. He says here in Philippians chapter 1, if you're there in your Bibles, we're going to begin reading here in verse number 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you, peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a work in you, a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart and as much both in my bonds and in the, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, Ye all are partakers of my grace. I want to look at a message this morning on God will perfect us. God, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you, God, for what you did in the lives of the high school group, in the lives of the middle school group. God, thank you for what you've done in our lives this week. Thank you for the hedge of protection you've kept about us. Thank you, Lord, for the times you've stirred our hearts. Thank you, God, that there is a hallelujah even here, Father. In the midst of the darkest storms and the deepest trials and the longest valleys, God, there's a hallelujah in the midst of it. Thank you, Father. There's a promise, God, that we will be perfect. We will be like you. But thank you, God, for the promise that you're working on us even now. We love you and thank you, God. I ask you to meet with us in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the, the letter to the church at Philippi gives us a lot of things as you read and look and, and into it. More, more than likely, it, it would seem to be that, that Philippi seems to probably be the Apostle Paul's favorite church. If you look at the letter and the things he has to say and the things that he addresses to them, Probably, probably his favorite church that he at least that he wrote a letter to, and it gives us the theme of a joyful life in Christ. Here in this four chapters, in the first chapter, we have the things for life's purpose: for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. The second chapter, we get a blueprint for life's pattern. He says, "Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus." Chapter three, we get the blueprint for the prize of life. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And then, of course, in chapter 4, we have the blueprint for life's power. And everybody in here knows it. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So here in our text this morning, Paul says in verse number 6, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So I want to look at a message this morning. I'll be honest, it's been very encouraging to me as I've studied this week. I started studying this last Sunday. I was sitting there 
um, after church and was reading a little bit. I'd pull up my Bible on my phone, and I know y'all don't know this, but on Sunday afternoon, I start saying, God, Sunday's coming. It's seven days away, Lord. I need a message for your people. What would you have me? And I start getting nervous when it's Friday, and he still ain't started giving me that. But I've been studying this all week. It's been very encouraging to me. It's been, it's been uplifting. It's given me an opportunity. I believe it can help us get through some trials and some storms we look. I pray that it would be encouraging to you this morning as well. But even in this life, let me say most of us have made some mistakes. If you're not among us, that's okay. Just bear with us. Most of us, truth be told, we've made some mistakes even since we got saved. We, we've made some mistakes against God even as Christians. But can I tell you, God never gives up on us, never walks out on us, never quits on us, never, never gives in. Even in life's hardest moments when I don't understand why my mom, I can't imagine, not even a not even to your senior year of high school yet, and all the things that life's going to have to present. Every one of us has faced some hard situations, right? But even in life's hardest moments, in times of our greatest weaknesses, in times of our greatest failures, even in times of our greatest doubt, you don't have to raise your hand. Anybody ever doubted? Anybody ever wondered, is God listening to you? I heard one of them say it, God, does it matter? Do, do you care? I heard one of the young girls say it. That's not just a young girl. That, that happens in at least one preacher on this planet. God, where are you? Are you here? Do you see what's going on? Have you heard anything I've prayed? Uh, we're all on the same page. I want to make sure you all know what I'm talking about. I ain't by myself, Emma. God, even in our greatest time of doubt and questioning, never quits on us. Never gives up. Never stops what he started. So I need to start by laying the foundation of the church. The church at Philippi was, was started on Paul's second missionary journey. As he was going about, the Bible tells us, we're going to read this story. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 16, I want to read this story with you because this is the founding of the church there at Philippi. But it has some incredible things in it that I want to look at. The, the church actually began in a vision. I'm going to be reading for a minute. Because I want, I want you to get this whole story. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse number 9, it says that a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas... We came with a straight course from Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis. From thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. We were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where, there, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and we spake with the women which were resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us whose heart the Lord opened. She attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. She was baptized in her household. She besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. It came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. 
The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. This she did many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he come out that same hour. When her masters saw the hope of their gains was gone, they called Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them into the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. The multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. And having received such charge, thrust them into the inner prison, made their feet fast in the stocks. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. That's a hallelujah even here right there, isn't it? Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we're all here. He called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And he spake unto him the word of the Lord to all that were in his house. And he took from them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. When he had brought them into the house, he sat meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. When it was day, the magistrate sent sergeants, saying, Let those men go. The keeper of the prison told this to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, part and go in peace. Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly uncondemned, being Romans, and cast us into prison. And now they trust us out privily. Nay, verily, let them come themselves and fetch us out. The sergeants told these words to the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. They came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. They went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. When they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. The story of, of the founding of the church here gives us Three individuals whose lives were radically changed when they met Jesus Christ. Anybody know that feeling? Anybody in here living a radically changed life? Anybody in here have a moment when old things truly passed away? You have a moment when everything in you changed. If you don't have that moment, you need that moment. We have these three people. They are, they are radically changed. They come from very different backgrounds, just like all of us, all from different walks of life. They tell us of a woman named Lydia. Lydia, we can know from the Scripture, she is a very successful businesswoman. She's a very wealthy woman. There's a reason she took all of them into her house and made food and provided and took care of them. The reason that we know she is a very successful and wealthy businesswoman because it says she's a seller of the color purple. We know that the color purple is royalty. It's nothing but for kings and royalty. We know that she's from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira was the city of dye. If you had cloth, you carried it there. If you wanted to get it dyed multiple colors or any different color, you carried your cloth to Thyatira. It was a port city, and it was known for dyeing cloth. But only kings could afford purple because purple had to come from this little gelfish that they had to catch off the coast and extract the liquid from that gelfish. Didn't work out too good for the gelfish, but it worked to make pretty, pretty color purple. Amen? 
So, so we know that if she is a seller of purple and she is from Thyatira working in that market, we know that we have a very successful businesswoman. But we also have a little slave girl. The Bible, Bible just calls her a certain damsel. Doesn't even give us her name. All we know is that she is demon-possessed and, and that she belongs to some other people. That, that, she, that they had these, she had these masters that were using her to make money off of her. But then we have the third man, a very powerful man. or he's, he's the jailer. He's seen some men beaten before. He's seen a lot of men imprisoned before. He's seen a lot of men executed before. But he ain't never heard a duet in the middle of the night by two men that just got beat. Amen. Something happened that changed his world. About five years after meeting these three people and establishing the church, Paul went on his third missionary journey. He visited Philippi a couple more times and visited these people. But here we are, ten years later. Paul hasn't seen him in quite some time now. And he's writing him this letter there from, from a Roman prison. I have no doubt that when the letter got there, it would have been customary in the day when someone sent a letter like that to a group of people, they would make an announcement that we've received a letter here. They would have said, we've received a letter to the church from the Apostle Paul. All who come to this place at this time, we're going to open and read the letter. That was a customary thing to do in the day. I have no doubt that when they heard there was a letter from the Apostle Paul, the beloved Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, the one who came and led so many of them to the Lord, the one who's, who shared so much with them, the one who loved them so much, I have no doubt that the church house or, or the rest of the house, where it would have been, they didn't have church buildings in that day, but I have no doubt it would have been packed out. I believe everybody came to hear the reading of this letter. And Paul starts out as is customary. He gives the introduction of himself. He tells who he is, and he is a proud servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is never shamed by that fact, nor should we be. Paul is never silenced about that fact, nor should we be. As Brandon talked about, and we've talked about it a lot of times in here, control your environment. You may not can change the world, but you can change your surroundings. You can change what goes in your ears. You can change what people say and do around you. Paul was never ashamed of who he was or what he did, and he made it known. That's a good lesson for us. When he wrote this letter, it wasn't like to the other churches. There's not some doctrinal issues like the church at Galatia that he had to address. There's not sin going on in the church and a couple of people with open sin in the church that had to be addressed. Like when he wrote to the church there at Corinth, there's no false doctrines going on being taught within the church. Like when he wrote to the church at Colossus, there's no, they're called eschatological teachings. There's no false teachings about the future and about the resurrection going on that he had to address like there was when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. This is just a letter to a bunch of church, church people, Christians, that Paul truly loves. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. The word saints there means holy. It means separated. We, all who are Christians, are saints. All who are Christians, we belong to the family of God. Now, some of you, this is going to upset you, but I'm sorry. You're just going to have to realize where we are. There are no holier than thou's. There's not one that's holier than the other. There's not one that's more sanctified than the other. We are all washed in the same blood. We are all members of the same family. God only classifies people in two categories. I will divide the sheep from the goats. The sheep will I sit on my right hand. The goats will I sit on my left hand. God only sees mankind in two classes, and both of them are sinners. 
One of them is sinners that are still called sinners because they never trusted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. They are still separated from God by their sin because they have not yet accepted the free gift of God that can save their soul. The others, people just like us, sinners worthy of hell, deserving of hell, but never going to hell because of what Christ did. Sinners saved by the grace of God, washed in the blood of the Lamb of God. So Saint simply reminds us here of what we are positionally through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are children of God, sanctified. That means that we are set apart for an holy purpose. We ought to live our lives in a way that demonstrates whose we are, not who we are. Our life ought to demonstrate whose we are as children of God. Paul says, grace and peace be unto you. Man, that's an incredible prayer. Any of you just need something to do, you can pray that for me anytime you want to. I'd greatly appreciate it. Need to pray that for each other. Grace and peace be unto you. That ought to be a daily prayer for everybody around us that, that we pray that prayer. He says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy. Do you have anybody in your life that you're truly thankful for? Maybe parents, the way that they brought you up. Maybe siblings. Maybe it's the one that told you about Christ. Maybe it's the one that led you to the Lord. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's your spouse. you have anybody that you're thankful for? We ought to let them know that we're thankful for them. We ought to let God know that we're thankful for them. If we're truly thankful for them, then we ought to pray for them all the time. Paul did. He wrote a letter to the church at Rome. He said, God is my witness whom I serve with joy in the spirit of the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. To Corinth, he said, I thank my God always on your behalf. To Ephesus, he said, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. To Colossians, he said, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. To Thessalonica, he said, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. He wrote a letter to young Timothy. He said, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. He wrote a letter to Philemon. The the theme of the letter is love exemplified. He says, I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. The greatest honor that we can give to anybody is to go into the throne room on their behalf. If we truly are thankful for somebody, the the greatest thing we can ever do is pray for them. God has given us an unlimited access to the throne room. You don't have to have tokens. You don't have to have chips. You don't have to earn a right. When you trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you got a seal on your forehead that labels you a child of God. And that seal, when you walk up, opens every door automatically and lets you walk into the throne room of Almighty God and sit down and talk to Him about whatever you need to talk about and have His undivided attention. If we got people that we truly care about, there's no greater gift that we can give to anybody than to go sit down in the presence of the one who can change things, make things good, bless things, open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that there be not room enough to receive it, go in and call out their name. Oh, Satan can hinder you from a lot of things. Satan can bring a lot of nasty stuff in your life if God allows. Anybody say amen? Life, this world, the devil, his lies, the garbage, all that goes on. Satan can bring a lot of stuff our way. He did it to Paul. God allowed it. I mean, here he is. He's in this, this Roman prison when he writes this letter. He can't go out on the streets and preach. 
He can't go into the synagogue and, and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. He can't go to friend's house. He can't go have dinner with them. He can't <clears throat> celebrate. He can't gather with them and pray. So many things that, that, he, that he can't do. He can't take another missionary journey because he's in bonds. But Paul said, I can pray. Doesn't matter what's going on in our world, we can pray. I know sometimes <clears throat> we've all been in the same spot. <clears throat> been through stuff sometimes you, you, you can't even pray. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever been in a spot where you sat down and the words just wouldn't come out and you just sit there and weep and you want to pray but you don't even know where to start? Whether it's hurt, whether it's broken, whatever it is, you just can't pray. Can, can, I, can I just give you what you already know but make sure we understand Sometimes it's 2 o'clock in the morning, you're sound asleep, and God wakes you up and says, pray for so-and-so. That so-and-so is the one that's over there right now that can't pray. Whatever's going on in their world, they sat down and said, God. And that was as far as they could get, and they're broken. And God says, hey, get up. Pray for them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to do something for them. I need you to pray. Isn't it crazy that the God of the universe needs us to pray to answer the prayer? But he does it so he gives you the blessing for praying for them. When God tells you to pray for somebody, just pray. Don't get on the phone. Don't try to find out what's going on. Don't call them up and say, hey, man, what's going on in your world? Hey, are you okay? Is something happening in your life? Hey, Lord told me to pray for you. No, Pray. God didn't say talk to them. He said talk to me about them. There's no greater gift that we'll ever give to anybody than to just pray. Satan can hinder a lot of things in our life, but he cannot stop us from praying for them. It doesn't matter if they know we're praying for them. What matters is that we are praying for them. <clears throat> Sometimes you feel an urge. Choose somebody a text. Give somebody a call and tell them, say, I just want to know I'm praying for you. You know what you do? You send them a text, let them know I'm praying for you. It's encouraging. It's encouraging to me. When I get a text from anybody that says, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you, I'm encouraged by that. That means that God put me on somebody else's mind. That means I had to be on God's mind. So sometimes you may want to send something out and let them know, hey, just want you to know I've been praying for you. See, prayer is power. Prayer puts a hedge around them that the enemy can't penetrate. And prayer puts power over them that the enemy has no weapons that will get through. Prayer puts grace around them that nothing in this world can stop. Nothing in this world can change. Prayer anoints them with the grace of an almighty God. If we truly love somebody, we ought to be praying for them. Verse number 5, Paul remembers back when he met Lydia. He remembers how gladly she received Christ. And he remembers that poor little slave girl and how her masters were ticked off because he cast out the demon and now they can't make any money off of her paul ain't worried about that paul remembers the smile on her face paul remembers what it was like when she realized that she was delivered from the chains of bondage of sin and darkness and the demon was cast out paul remembers that smile that beam that gratefulness on her face and paul remembers that that soldier that beast of a man the, these these brutal prison guards Paul remembers what kind of man he was. Paul remembers being in that jail. He remembers his body hurting, 
beaten and bruised. He remembers his back was bleeding from the stripes that they put on him with the whip. He remembers how his hands and his feet were cramping from blood loss and from being locked up in those stocks and chains. He remembers how his entire body was in intense pain. But he remembers how God showed up in the middle of it when he started doing hallelujah anyhow. Hallelujah even here. I'm beaten, I'm locked up, I ain't done nothing wrong. I really don't have nothing to praise God about. Wait a minute, what am I talking about? You're my God. You're my Lord, my Redeemer. I'm going through hell on earth, but heaven's waiting on me when I get there. Worst thing seems to happen to me in this world is the best thing can happen to me in my life. Close my eyes and let me see Jesus. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's the worst thing that can happen to me in this life. Paul says, hallelujah, even here. But he remembered that guard. God didn't know what to think about that. Paul was going through the worst situation when the guard saw Christ in him. And anybody, anybody catch that? You were going through your worst situation when somebody saw Christ in you. You were in the worst storm, worst trial, worst situation of your life, worst pain, whatever happened that you remember. You were going through that when you said hallelujah even here and somebody saw Christ in you and it made a difference in their life. That's what Paul remembers here. He, even in this Roman prison that he is now that he's locked up again for doing nothing wrong, all he can do is sit and smile when he thinks about these people of his past and how God has, has reached into them. Paul is very thankful for the church at Philippi. He's thankful for their ministry. He tells them so. They're the ones that supported him. He said in verse number 18 of chapter 4, I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Paul says, I have received everything that you sent me. I was out on my missionary journey. I was out serving the Lord. You gathered some stuff up. You gave it to Epaphroditus. You sent him to where I was. He has given me the goods, and I am full. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for sending goods my way. Thank you for remembering me. Thank you for praying for me. But he said in verse number 19, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If you do not support missionaries, that is not your promise. Paul made that promise to the church that supported his missionary journey. Paul made that to the individuals that support the missionary, those who give their life to serve Christ. He talks about these three people that we see here in Acts. All all of them have their own story. They all come from different walks of life. They all have different backgrounds. They all have a different past, things that they have done, things that they haven't done. But they all have their own story, their own salvation story. Amen. They all had their own baggage when they came to Christ. But they all have their own story of what Christ did for them. I I hope everybody's got your story. We're, we're, We're all the same as Christians. We all came with our own background, our own past, and we all drug up our own baggage when we came. But God said, here, that's too heavy for you. I never designed you to carry it. Let me have that. Let me cleanse you of all that sin and all that past. Let me wash all that off. I don't know. Everybody in here can relate to somebody in that. Successful business person. Plenty of money. She still needed Christ. That poor little slave girl. Demon possessed. 
Seemed like nobody could help her. Christ could. That, that man, government official, you may have some high office, some power, some authority. You may have authority at your fingertips. You still need Christ. Without Christ, you have nothing. So what we see is these different ones, they all need Christ. It makes no difference where they came from. The ground was level at the foot of the cross. Same's true for us. On the day we got saved, there ought to be a hearty amen. Everything changed. Woo, most of you ain't saved. You would have had to have said amen. On the day we got saved, everything changed. The Holy Spirit moved in. We became the temple of the living God. We began to think differently. We begin to try to talk differently, walk differently, act differently. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit began to take that old baggage and move it out and put some new stuff in. We became the temple of the living God. But we're a work in progress now, amen? Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What we are now, praise God, isn't what we used to be. Anybody glad? But it ain't what we're going to be. He ain't done yet. Paul says, I am confident. That means I am fully persuaded. The reason Paul is so confident, the reason you and I can be so confident, the reason we can be so fully persuaded is because of the one who did it. The one who promises it. The good work that Paul says here is the work of the Lord. It's not the work of man. The, the good work is not by our power, not by our might, not by our strength, but by the work of God. It is the power of God that rises up in us and cleanses us and, and works through us that people might see Christ in us. But because it is Christ that began the work, it is Christ that will carry out the work, it is Christ that will finish the work. The Holy Spirit moved in and began making some changes, and everybody around us began to see the changes. You got that testimony? Anybody got a testimony? When you got saved, people around you started wondering, man, what happened to you, man? Why are you acting different? Man, what, you don't cuss no more? You don't even say poopy no more? What's the matter with you? Anybody know what I'm talking about? There, there begins some changes. Things begin to work inside of us. But it was an immediate salvation. But the full sanctification is a lifelong process. We were fully saved at the time. You got all the salvation you're going to get. You got all the salvation you're going to need. You got all of the filling of the Holy Ghost you're going to get. You got all the filling of the Holy Ghost you're going to need. But I didn't get enough of the can't get out of my own way stuff. I still trip over my own stuff. But he's not through. He's still working on us. The, the Holy Spirit is working to perfect you and I, into the image of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The Holy Spirit never loses sight of the finished product, even when we fail, even when we make mistakes, even if we fall back, even if we lose direction for a little while, the Holy Spirit never stops working. He says he will continue the work in you and I until the day of the Lord. The Word of God distinguishes between all the different days, the, the different dispensation periods, the different ages of life. It gives us several different days. It talks about the day of God. The day of God is that final day that is beyond all time. 
But the day of the Lord, that's the day that Paul is looking forward to. The day of the Lord, that's the day when Jesus Christ steps out on the cloud and he calls home those who are washed in the blood of the Lamb of God. The day of the Lord is a day that you and I and every child of God is looking forward to with great expectation, great anticipation, great desire. The day when Jesus Christ takes the blood-bought bride and calls it home and gets us out of this sin-cursed world. From now until then, the Holy Spirit is doing a work in us. He never stops. He's not going to miss his mark. He's not going to lose his way. He's going to keep working to make us into the image of Jesus Christ, even if we fall along the way. It's amazing enough that God loves us so much that he would send his only begotten son to pay for our sin debt. You know the story. Adam and Eve sinned. They brought separation. They died in the spirit. It separated them from God. God will not stop working until he has perfected that back in us. It is God, isn't that crazy? The God of the universe has that kind of desire to have that kind of relationship with you and I. He will not stop until he has completed it. So here's the beauty of it. It's not based on you and I. Hmm. Once we accept Christ, success and failure, it's not based on you and I. Completion versus incompletion, not based on you and I. It's based on the one who cannot fail. It's based on the one who cannot lie. The one who began it is the one who will finish it. The word perform here in our text means that he will carry it forward to completion. It's an intensive form of a word that means it must be and it will be carried out to completion. No reliance on self. No reliance on man. Man is weak. Amen. Man is frail. Man is sinful. Man is prone to not finish what they start. Man is prone to give up in the middle of something. But what is began in you and I is not based on you and I. It's based on the Word of God and the power of God alone. And God says, I got something in store for you, and I'm going to complete it. I'm going to make you perfect. I'm going to make you just like Jesus Christ. What God begins, God will finish. He's unchangeable by nature. He said that He changeth not. That means all of his promises, all of his gifts, all of his callings, everything that he says will be completed. Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you, will perform it in the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, without a doubt, that the same God who began this work in you is the same God who will complete it in you. Even though we fall short of the mark sometimes. Well, you know, when you fall short, it don't take the devil but about a half of a second to start whispering in your ear, does it? Psh, you call yourself a Christian. Psh, you think God can use you. Psh, you think you're going to heaven. You ain't fit for nothing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I ain't the only one he lies to, am I? Y'all do know the devil's a liar, right? Anytime in a little something goes, the devil starts in whispering. God says, don't worry about him. I got you covered. You're covered under the blood. You're covered under my hand. I got it covered. And I am working something in you. You remember that hard trial that you went through? I was doing something in you. You remember that bad situation you found yourself in? I was doing something in you. You remember the day you thought your world came to an end because it was so bad? I was doing something in you. 
You remember the day you couldn't pay your bills and you didn't know what was going to happen, but I made a way out of no way? I was doing something in you. Everything that God has done to the day was to prepare us for today. And there's somebody in our life that needs us just like we are today that God can use us to reach them. But God ain't through. He says, I'm working on you. You're a work in progress, just like I worked on you yesterday. We're going to do a little bit of work tomorrow. There's going to be some growing seasons. There's going to be some resting seasons. Y'all know we don't work gardens all year long, right? Daddy said, thank God. There's planting, there's growing, and there's harvest. Then there's a time to let the ground rest, to let the soil rest. That's what God does with us. God says, I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to quit. I know I'm a mess. Anybody know you're a mess? You know you're a mess. We're a mess. God says, don't matter to me. I love you just like you are. There will never be anything lacking on God's part to make us holy and to make us happy. God has it perfectly planned out to bring us into his kingdom to be perfect and holy just like Christ. I'm excited to know that God loves me that much. I'm excited to know that one day I'm not going to think things I shouldn't think. I'm not going to see junk I shouldn't see. I'm not going to say things that I shouldn't say. Now, I'm excited to know that one day I am going to love everybody the way I'm supposed to love everybody. I'm going to have a heart of compassion for everybody, not a judgmental heart, but a compassionate heart. I'm excited to know that God loves me so much that he didn't just save my soul, but he's changing me to be like him. I'm excited to know that he ain't ever going to quit. I'm excited to know that he ain't ever going to give up on me. If I was me, I would have quit on me a long time ago. Anybody in my shoes? If I knew about me what I know about me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care nothing about me. But God says for every one of you, there's coming a day. You'll be perfected. I wonder, you, you've heard me say this a lot of times, but I'll say it again because it fits right here. When, when we see the face of Jesus, that will be that change. We'll be changed into the image. Amen. Y'all know that, right? So right now we're, we're somewhere down here. There's that image. But the closer I am to being like Christ, the smaller my last step's got to be. Does that make sense? I want to try to make that last step as small as I can. I don't want to have to come from way down there to get my transformation to be like Christ. I, I, want, I want Christ to look back. I, I want to live my life for him. I, I want to tell others about him. When I get there, I don't want to get there empty-handed. I want a whole lot of lost souls around me to have seen that Christ in me, to have been able to share that Christ with them, that other souls might be saved. That when I get there, I ain't there by myself having wasted what God gave me. But I've let God live through me in this life. But I want to cut down the size of the step. Amen? Band, you guys going to sing a song? Come on up. I just want to be as much like Christ today as I can be. That's your desire? Do you know another great thing about the throne room? It's a great gift to be able to pray for others. It's an incredible honor to be able to pray for ourselves. To be able to walk in and say, God, I just want to serve you. I just want to be pleasing to you. 
I'm just asking you to, to help me be an overcomer. Make me stronger. I'm asking you to, to fill me with your grace. I'm asking you to, to fill me with your love. I'm asking you to give me strength to overcome weakness and temptation. I'm asking you to, to, to make me so graceful that people just being around me can't help but see Christ in me. My heart's desire in this life is for people to see Christ in me. I say that on your behalf. I believe it's true in every one of you. I just use the word me. I say that. I believe every one of us in this place is our, it's our heart's desire that people see Christ in us. Amen? It even goes back to what Brandon was talking about and what was that church to, to control our world around us. It may not can change the world. That's not even what our slogan at the church says. Our church says changing our surroundings one soul at a time. You may not can change the world. You may not can change LaGrange, Georgia. But you can change the one that works beside you. The ones in school beside you. The, the, the one at the marketplace beside you. And if you change them and they change another that changes another, eventually it changes the world. Amen. I'm going to let you spend a little time in prayer. You can sing with these guys. Rejoice. Do what you will. Go ahead, guys. Y'all go ahead and stand up. See, God don't need us. God wants us.
Given the Lord control. It's true. God doesn't need us, but somehow He wants us. And He loves us. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, today is your day. Behold, today, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Right now, you can say, Father, I am a sinner. 
not some little poem. You get to repeat it and go back to your living your old life. You give your heart to Christ, you won't want to go back to living that life. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and save my soul in the precious name of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that will wash away all your past, cleanse all your sins. The Holy Spirit will move in. He'll begin to change things in you. Old things will pass away. Behold, all things become new. But it's up to you. He's not just Savior. He's not just fire insurance. He is Savior, Lord of our life, control of our life. You can ask him today to be saved right where you are. And he's faithful. Amen. God, thank you so much for being so good, God. Lord, I thank you for saving a sinner like me. I thank you for loving somebody like me. I thank you that we can be called your church, that we are your children, that we're a part of the family and a part of the bride of Christ. Thank you, God, for being so good, for grace and mercy that is without understanding, beyond comprehension, God, for a love that has no measure and no boundaries. Thank you so much. God, I ask you to help us, Father, as we go out of this place. Will you fill up in us, God? The Holy Spirit swelled up in us. That people might see Christ in us and Christ through us. That you might use us the way you did the apostles, the way you did the disciples. That you might use us to change the world for the glory of God. We love you, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.